Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome back, everybody. Well, we have a returning guest. We haven't had Wayne Caffey here for about a year and a half or two, and I'm really excited to have him back. He was 39 years with LA, almost 39 years with LAPD, also part of the gang unit. Tell you folks, when I talk to gang experts, they're gang experts, and then they're gang experts. What do I mean? Well, some of them are supposed to be gang experts, and they're not. (laughs) Wayne is. There's only a handful that I've known who really do know their stuff. So I'm excited about talking about, are criminals the same today as they were 20 to 30 years ago? And what's going on with the gangs today in L.A.? What's going on with the gangs today around the country? We're going to find out all about that and more before we get started. Make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know we like it. Let's not waste any more time. Welcome, Wayne, to the show. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah, welcome back. You know, Wayne, it's interesting because I've been having this conversation with a lot of people lately in law enforcement. I talked to a guy who works in Cook County. I think it was in the juvenile detention. I've talked to gang guys down in South Carolina. I talked to an officer in, the, in um, what was it, Minneapolis, I think it was. And we were talking about how criminals are different today. We, uh, we talked about the Adam 12 type criminals, <laughs> just weren't the same. Um, and they're really different today. But I guess I wanted to know from you is, are you seeing differences in gangs are they operating differently? Are they behaving differently? What's your, what do you say? Actually, actually it's, it's been a trend for quite a few years. Um, as far back as 20 years ago, we could see the change. And it's a generational thing. It's each generation of gang members or people that join gangs. Um, they have their own ideals of how, um, you know, things are supposed to be done and, you know, how they commit their criminal activity and it's always the cat and mouse you know uh, game with law enforcement with crooks are trying to figure out how to still get away with what they get away with you know how to, to do something you know illegal and not get caught you know and make as much money as they can while they can and we even see you know huge differences in la just in the generations of how the gangers themselves get along with the older members you know the ogs the veteranos that have been, you know, part of these gangs, you know, for years, uh, unless they have direct family ties, you know, a lot of these guys, um, they get in because they're part of the neighborhood. And then once they're in the neighborhood, you know, they kind of form up their own cliques and crews. And each one of those cliques and crews is you know, involved in their own different criminal activities. It's not always um, the same thing that was done in the past. So you see, we've seen a lot where in some neighborhoods, I say most neighborhoods, the older members, younger members don't even get along because of differences in how um, they're perceived and how 
they see is this is our style. You had your your time, this is our time. Now they style. Even the game members today that that um the youngsters, you know, they don't care about the colors as much as they used to hear about that's not as important, you know, unless you're around the neighborhood or you're in your hood. You know, when you get outside the neighborhood, you got Crips wearing, you know, red and bloods wearing blue. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the old bagging and sagging style of clothing, you don't see that as much more. We got kids in the projects wearing skinny jeans, you know, looking what? like just any other kid going to school. So their attitudes are different and the way they perceive it. And then, of course, you know, the generation that started all, you know, and I would say they were gladiators. You know, it was all about street fights, your street fighting skills, your reputation, um, how well you can, you know, you can throw a fist. You know, those are things that you stood out as far as not only respect from your homeboys, respect from rivals, respect from other neighborhoods. You know, it was, hey, this guy can handle his business. He's tough. You know, that was important. That's not as important on the street. And, you know, when you go to jail and prison, of course, you, you got to handle your business. But these youngsters today, you know, you can be five foot, 100 pounds soaking wet, but all you need is three pounds of trigger pull and you can game bang. And so that's a totally different attitude. You know, um, they don't respect their elders like they used to. They're, you know, the only time you, you hear when these guys have been touched where an older gangster, you know, disciplines a youngster is usually in jail and prison. Well, on the streets, most older guys I talk to, they don't even want to be around the youngsters because they tell us they're out of control. They're trigger happy. They're way more violent than they used to be. I mean, there's always going to be a certain level of violence. Um, one of the homeboys that just passed away, Monster Cody Scott, went to school with Monster, known since elementary school. We had a conversation about the violence level, and he would always talk about how when they had meetings with his neighborhood set, the individuals that were not put in work were going to be pushed on. is like, you got to put in work. You can't be a punk. You got to show that. You know, you're going to be part of the neighborhood. You're just as hard as everybody else. He said, most of the time you could have 40 guys in the hood and only be about three or four real shooters. The rest of the guys really weren't into that kind of, you know, that that was something they had. They were forced to do, but it was something like they wanted to do. You know, they're not this hardcore, you know, I can't wait to get a gun and go out and blast an arrival. Well, that's talk. You hear it all the time. But he said, the reality is there's only about three or four guys out of 40 that are real shooters that, you know, have no qualms about going out and, you know, get revenge or whatever once, you know, somebody in the neighborhood gets hit. So he said that's that's been since he when he joined, you know, and he's second generation. Um, but as each generation went on, I see it all the time. I, I know, you know, there's a OG from a neighborhood um, crib set in L.A. that disciplined one of the youngsters in his neighborhood and the kid got an AK-47 shot him in the back. No. Yeah. I know two instances where that happened. You know, these are older Crip gangs with guys that were in their 40s and 50s who should have, you know, the respect and rapport and the attitude that these youngsters have nowadays. They don't care. You know, they don't respect them. So that is a huge change where, you know, when I was coming up, you respected the OGs. You respected the veterans because if you didn't, they would touch you, you know. And nowadays, the older guys like, man, we want nothing to do with these youngsters. They're out of control. They're um, tricky happy, and if I do whoop him, he's going to shoot me in the back later on, and that's the, the biggest problem. Let me ask you this. I was talking to a gentleman who, who works in a, a prison system. He deals with the gangs, and he was saying one of the differences he's noticed as well. I want to see what your take on it, if you've seen this. He said in the older days, I don't know how far back we go, I guess maybe 20 years or something, if you disrespected their mom, that's a problem. Yes. 
He said, that's not happening anymore. If you disrespect the mom, they're ignoring it. But if you disrespect somebody who died, like a Nipsey hustle or something like that, now you got a problem. And he yeah. says, that's really thrown him a, a, a loop because he says the teenagers he's coming into making contact with, you're like, he just disrespected your mom, whatever. So I'm looking at that as a psychologist kind of mindset of, is there an issue here now with the mom causing, not causing, but being extremely neglectful or some kind of mothering issue where the mother is not connecting with this child who the child now, instead of I'm defending mama, I'm going to defend somebody who's not even around anymore, who's passed away. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, trying to get my head around. I don't know. Have you heard that? And what's your take on it? Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you know, when we were kids, if you were with your friends, you could tell mama jokes, but let's somebody talk about your mama. It's going to be a fight. You know, <laughs> that's changed. Yeah. These, these guys today, it, you know, and, and this, we used to have a, I was saying, if you really want to go fight a gang member, just walk up to him and say, fuck your dead homie. That's going to be a fight because his, he has, you know, the homies are, you know, they, they, they stand there and they drink 40 ounce beer and they pour out some of them into a grass. And this is for the dead homie. You know, they celebrate that when they have their meetings. And so, yeah, that, that's a mandatory thing to when you get a homie that's respected, especially one that's, gone on to the afterlife whatever reason unless he's unless he was not well thought of in the neighborhood you gotta fight you gotta fight because they, mm -hmm. that's total big disrespect that's disrespect when you disrespect it at home you disrespect everybody in the neighborhood so that's very common that's even with older guys too but yeah especially oh. the youngsters so the mother thing have you noticed any changes of that or heard anything in the in the wind about that change or no with them not fighting back anymore with the disrespecting the mama or yeah i'm really i, I guess that goes from various neighborhood to neighborhood i've never mm. really seen a guy you know just get his mom disrespect and not want to fight you know not where i grew up especially in south central la i mean that's just that's an automatic yeah. throwdown you know you talk about mom oh let's go we got to fight <laughs> <That's automatic. laughs> that was how guys used to get each other on the basketball court or football field too say something about their mom and piss him off and get him a penalties off off the court or whatever <laughs> trying to get in their heads but um yeah it's a, it's you see the, the generation there's this huge separation of what's considered disrespect and what's considered worth fighting about as, as compared to what and the older members think that the younger generation they fight for a lot of dumb reasons and for some reason they think that mainly is because they're they're they know that they're not going to really give fisticuffs with you for long they're going to eventually go get a gun and so that that's the big equalizer. So they, you know, the reasons why guys are getting shot today uh, as compared to where you used to get shot back in the day are totally different. It's, it's um, I mean, there's a lot of the guys getting shot for the same reasons they were getting shot 25, 30 years ago. But now there's guys that are fighting over stuff that, you know, it, most of it we see a lot of is uh, we call cyber banging. Something put, you know, mm. you, you put it on a, a Twitter account and you disrespect somebody. Or you, well, there's a lot of these knuckleheads got YouTube accounts, and they're talking. You know, uh, there's a quite a few out there. I, I'm following them just to see what's going on and what's you know their what their take on things are because it's interesting when the older members get on there, and then when the younger members try to you know respond to them. But a lot of the, the fights and stuff like that you're hearing about it starts with something that was put on the internet. That's totally, totally, totally different from what it used to be back in the day. And again, the criminal activity there into, I mean, the biggest crime, and it's hilarious that, you know, the, all the news channels are starting to cover the, the, the fraud during the pandemic, and especially the um, unemployment fraud, which is huge. 
Well, guess who the biggest unemployed for our guys were? Gang members, Crips and Bloods, especially. They are uh-huh. they made millions of unemployment fraud. In fact, when I talked to the gang officers, my buddies that work <laughs> in Vegas, when Vegas opened up and, and they started getting groups down there, they had a huge upload of gang members coming down to all the hotels in Vegas and spending that fraud money. That's where it came from. You know, unemployment fraud. And uh, it's, you know, they're into anything that makes money and, and they're just smarter about it because um, they're not, they're really getting away from street sales and narcotics um, because, you know, obviously a lot of time in prison and it's, uh, you got to run from the cops all the time. And it's, you know, it's a dangerous world out there when you're out there dealing drugs in the streets in the neighborhood, you're out, out front. So you're getting away from that. And there's a lot more of white collar crime, a lot more white collar crime with gang members. And then, of course, you have the uh, the common um, smash and grab robberies, which you still are back, you know, in the news a lot. Where you know you're hitting jewelry stores with a crew, you know, smashing out, you know, display cases, take as much as they can grab. Um, follow home robberies are huge in Los Angeles right now. It's you know it was going on before, but of course now it's more in the news. But you know they're following people around that they think are um, wealthy, obviously. And then sometimes it's, uh, they like to target areas where they have a lot of uh, uh, people from other countries, you know, that, that come in their visitors, uh, you know, vacation in California and they get followed, you know, and that's turned into really violent, violent events. There's a lot of stuff that's on video showing people, you know, parking a car, getting out, walking towards their apartment or house and getting car pulls up behind them. Two guys run out of the car with guns and, and jack them right there for their, their Rolexes. And, you know, there's some young ladies that were sitting an outdoor patio of a restaurant. And these guys walked up and jacked them at gunpoint in Beverly Hills with the Rolexes and their in their purses and stuff. So I mean that's bold and stupid. And the thing about it is that the, the thing that's changed to these gang members, these youngsters, they know they're on video. They don't care. They're not wearing masks anymore. They don't care. Yeah, that's the weird thing, Wayne. What what do you think is motivating that? Because I know it seems like they've always had multiple streams of income if you want to look at it like a business, but never to the degree I've seen lately where they have been doing a lot more of this. Obviously, they're robbing to hawk these things. I don't think they're keeping the Rolexes for themselves. Um, maybe one of them, but most of them are probably selling. It seems like they've really changed. And I guess we'll get into the DA as well and see if you have any concerns there, if that's leading them to be so brazen during the day. But is that something else that's new now? All of a sudden, these different multiple streams of income because it's almost cartelish. Uh, cartel sticks their fingers in a lot of different areas. Yeah, it's it's fast money, and you know people forget um, LA gang members. Even though you can be a member of a set, belong to you know a clique in that set, have different homies you'd like to hang out with, they do a lot of independent stuff. And usually, you know, it's like two or three guys, four guys maybe max that like to work together, like to put in, you know, work together. I don't know if you recently, there was, I just got uh, um, pulled up a video of a um, smoke shop in Compton getting robbed. Four guys walk in and they see the guy behind the counter, but the guy behind the counter was an armed security guard, but his security jacket said security on the back, but not on the front. So I don't think they realized that he was an armed security guard. Anyways, so two to walk in kind of like the front guys and then two come behind them and two come behind them. They're the ones with weapons, pull them out ends up in a big old shootout inside the, uh, the smoke shop. Um, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. That that's common now. I mean, that's, you know, cause the smoke shops and marijuana clicks are still cash, cash business, a lot of cash in there. So that's a huge problem. I, when I was dealing with before I retired, 
in my division, um, 77 division was, was uh, tw it's 12 square miles. We had 77 marijuana clinics there. Only one was legal. So 77? 77 clinics in the 12 square miles, and only one was legal. Whoa. So our department, the narcotics units were starting to hit those that shut them down because they were becoming a problem because they became targets of jackers from different neighborhoods. So most of the most of the clinics are run by gang members in their own hoods. But if you opened up a clinic and you were outside of your neighborhood or you weren't getting the protection of the local set that runs that neighborhood, then you had to deal with your neighbor, your clinic getting jacked all the time. So I had, you know, crew guys, in different neighbors doing robberies in a bunch of diff different uh, uh, clinics. Like it, it was a common occurrence. And it's still when I left, it was still going on. I'm sure it is today. So. Yeah, it's happening a lot in Oakland. I was, I was curious to see when they're going to start passing some kind of legislation on that because it's happening a lot. All of a sudden, oh, they're getting robbed quite a bit. Yeah, the problem is, and it's going to be, and I was just talking to somebody here in New Mexico. They just made it legal in New Mexico, right? Oh, the yeah. problem is it's still, it's still not federally legal. The, the, the U.S. government itself, Congress is passing the bill, but the Senate has yet to pass it. So... It is still illegal to sell marijuana by the federal standards. You can't put it in the bank. It's a cash-only business, so there's no protections. And once they open up, just like it happened in Colorado and California, all the cartels and the street gangs come in and start opening up their own shops because it's such a it's a huge cash cow. But from what I understand, when they were even when they first opened up the ones in the valley in, in Los Angeles. Um, they, the DEA kind of did a study on how much money they were bringing in. And they, they, they talked about about six or seven clinics. They were making three deposits a day of $225,000 each per day. A day? They were making a quarter million dollars per day. Yeah. About seven or eight million a month. So yeah. 80 million a year. Yeah. And so most, and most of these clinics, because they're illegal, they don't man. They don't stay with the mandated hours, and like the city of Los Angeles, the county put down a certain amount of hours they're supposed to be operating. Well, the illegal ones don't care about that. They also they operate basically operate twenty four seven. They're undercutting the prices of the legal clinics, so they're selling a lot more. Because who's why am I going to pay, you know, fifteen dollars for this bag, where I can go over here and pay eight, you know? So that's it, funny it, you mentioned that huge cash cow. Because I know the DEA agent I was speaking to last year telling me that the cartels are. I forgot the number you gave me. It was about 20 or 30 percent of them are controlling the ones in California now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He says you go in there. They're the ones who they usually put a front guy on or somebody who yeah. <laughs> put the name under. But they're usually controlling the shots from the back. Yep. That's you got, crazy. You got, you got the Mexican cartels. You got the, all these Spanish street gangs. OK. Mm. You got black street gangs. You got Armenian power, Armenian street gangs, Armenian organized crime. Um, you got Russian organized crime. Some of that's connected to Armenian organized crime, but they're running it. So you have all these different groups all have clinics, you know, everyone. And, you know, the, the cartels, everybody thinks, well, they bring all those drugs over from uh, across the border. No, most of the grows, the illegal grows are here in California, are in California. They're in up in the, in the mountains from between basically from Bakersfield all the way up to Northern California. There's, illegal grows everywhere some, there's some down you know even in deserts you know they can get if they can get water inside a building or something like that and and they put in the lamps and whatever they need there's illegal grows all over the place so you know there's so much illegal out here and the price is so much lower than, than, than a legal spot it, it's a cash cow you know 
That's a good point. A lot of people think it's coming over, but yeah, when you see most of the busts that are happening at the border, it's usually always heroin or fentanyl. Right. Yeah, it's never usually marijuana. From everybody I've talked to in the cartel land, marijuana is not their thing anymore in Mexico. It's not worth the hassle. Too much space. Not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's harder to bring yeah. it over. So they, they, it doesn't matter. So what they do, what most of the cartels do, is they bring over Mexican nationals from across the border, bring them over into the states and set them up in one of their uh, legal grows. And then, they, you know, they use tarps. They do all kinds of things to camouflage it up in the hills. And, you know, the counties, they have um, uh, a lot of hills and, and mountains and trees. Uh, they're fighting all the time. Ventura County's got a huge problem with it. Um, Orange County's um, not as bad, but they've got a problem with it. You know, any place where they can set up. Yeah, I, even in a place that you don't think, they had an illegal grove across the street from my daughter's high school, uh, my young kid's high school. And it was a small kind of four-acre piece of land that was apartments on one side, houses on the other side. The high school was across the street up the hill. And I see a bunch of shares out there, and I'm like, "What are you guys doing?" He's like, "Well, we just took down a grow." And I'm like, "In those trees?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, well, "How long have they been here?" He said, "Well, they took they took about four thousand pounds of of just cut marijuana, and that was only half of what was growing." I said, "Well, how did they set this up?" He said, "They were stealing. They had run um, plumbing and electricity from the apartments. They were stealing from the apartments above the hill, so they got their their plumbing and electricity." And he said, "Man, this thing's probably been here at least a year and a half." Like nobody ever noticed it. Wow. Oh, <laughs> 4,000 pounds. They were on 4,000 pounds of legal marijuana they just cut. Yeah. That's crazy. I know we're trying to, I'm trying to set up something hopefully for the summer. Hopefully we can bring it back again in June. I forgot to tell you about this. I'll tell you now live on the air, get people excited about it. But I know we we're trying to do a panel. Um, so we, we have another buddy of mine who agreed. He works a lot with gangs in the South. And then another buddy of mine who worked with gangs within the prison system, and he communicated with people on the outside. And then another guy who works with drug cartels, because I thought all four of these are always interacting. (laughs) And I might even try to reach out to Jay Dobbins. You probably know him as well. Jay's a good friend. Hell's Angels, and try to see if he can talk a little bit about that and see. So people get a comprehensive picture of how they're all interrelated. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they don't really know what's going on, but I think with a panel of experts like that, I think it'd be a really fascinating conversation to hear everybody's stories and how they intermix. Yeah. The HAs and the Mongols, all those groups, they're, they're real heavy in the meth. And most of them are contracting Mexican nationals to help them do um, their, their, uh, chemical labs here in, in, in the United States. I'm seeing an uptick for them all of a sudden lately in the last few months, I've seen a lot more violence. I've seen, especially in the, in the down in Texas, Oklahoma area, right around there, I'm starting to see yeah. all of a sudden shootouts and killings. I don't know what to deal with them. Yeah, all it of always a happens when you start getting the spring, summer runs when they start oh, riding. Is that what it is? <laughs> Once the snow melts and everybody can ride. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe that's what it is. Taking violence with the, the bikers because now the weather's clear and they can get across states. And they can do their runs. They can go to, you know, uh, Sturges and all these places. And, you know, they get them. They end up at Sturges. They end up at um, uh, in, in Vegas, any of the casinos like that. There's always confrontations. And it's old blood is, you know, because the Hells Angels and Mongols, they ain't going to never get along. You know, all the shootings they had and fights and killings they've had for years, they're always going to be at war each other. 
Yeah, you need Billy Jack, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now you go school, way folks. back. <laughs> I'm mean, half of your listeners are going like, whoo. Instead of drinking. Go around Billy Jack if you haven't seen it. Um, I think the second one was one he had the gangs. The OMGs, yeah. wasn't it the second one? Something like that. Yeah, second one, yeah. Um, go back to this. I guess I'll take it back to the DA issue. Some people are arguing that maybe the gangs are more brazen but I think people are misconstruing some of the DA policies, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, of course. But I know they're, they're comparing the, the gang shootings and the violence going up in the homicides because the DA is easy. But I've never seen that being easy on. I've seen them being easy on misdemeanors, a lot of robberies, smash and grabs maybe, but not homicides. <laughs> that's yeah, not usually I, something I'm not really seeing. There's a problem with that. The problem has been, one of the first things he did is he, he took away enhancements, gang enhancements. Uh, that's right. So I don't know if you heard the story about the guy that uh, the kid had done the uh, homicide. And because they, they, could, they couldn't use enhancements because there's gun enhancements. <clears throat> if your gang were using a gun, you get enhancements. If your gang member involved in certain crimes, you get enhancements and you know, or violent crimes. Um, because he couldn't get enhancements, he's getting 25 years. So they taped him talking from his jail cell or t- talking from the jail. To his homeboys talking about, man, I can't wait. I'm gonna get Gascon's name tattooed on my head. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tattoo Gascon's name because, man, look at it, homie. We can get. I'm gonna get out. I gotta date out. I'm getting out of prison. He's gonna do 25 years, you know, or less, whatever. Um, but that's a problem, you know. And there are a lot of gang members that understand that. You know, it, it comes down to like Prop 47, where guys, uh, if you do uh, a theft or burglary, but you take under $800 worth of, of, of goods, it's not a felony. So you're not going to do any time. You know, it's like knock-knock burglaries. When these guys are doing the knock-knock burglaries, juveniles never got time. So you, you, a lot of the older crews were putting together teams of youngsters, 18 uh, under 18, to go out and do these burglaries. I remember taking on a crew, and I had three guys in custody, uh, one female in custody, all had been arrested for knock burglaries. Two of my guys had... 14 prior arrests each for doing burglaries. They had never done time because they were underage. This is not a violent crime. So it's a huge problem. And this DA has taken that to the next level where he's not allowed um, his, his prosecutor. He, he, he took away the hardcore gang unit. So now you got prosecutors who are not gang prosecutors trying to prosecute crimes that you really need that gang expertise. You know, and the fact that these guys, um, he's, he's just, he did a lot of things where the laws are there. He just won't let his DAs use those laws and use those, use those tools to enhance sentencing and get these guys, and, you know, like he'll, they'll fight. Every, every defense attorney always tries to fight the gang allegation in court. That's that. I mean, that's what I deal with every time when I testify. They fight that gang allegation because in California, especially, if you're in you're in trial and they bring up that the fact that you are a gang member and then you commit a crime as a gang member in front of a California jury, you know, automatically, well, that, you know, that prejudices the jury is what they say. Of course it does, because everybody in California has dealt with a gang problem. They've, they're tired of hearing about it. They've dealt with it. They have family members that dealt with it. They're, they're sick of it. And, you know, they want to see gang members get locked up, you know. Is, Wayne, yeah. is that one of the reasons why I got another comment I'm going to make too, but is that another reason why they don't show it 
at least they used to not. All of a sudden, lately, in the last month or two, they've been up. Uh, the uptick has been going on, where they used to never say anything. Like Sacramento, two months ago, they had that mass shooting, and about a day later, the Daily Mail came out with a picture of the su- su- supposed suspects. Right. I don't know. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out when the two suspects are sitting there with their little hand signs, yeah. <laughs> making gang signs. I'm thinking, well, this isn't Disneyland. I don't know what their signs are going to do. So, so I'm thinking this is not a mass shooting. <laughs> this is a gang related shooting. Right. And they, they had to know that and they still continue with the, with the mass shooting until about two weeks. And then finally they kicked it into gang shooting. Yeah. But I see it every so often, more so before than lately. Lately, for some reason, they keep now they're actually saying this is a gang shooting, gang shooting. But there was one the other day, you know, three teenagers go into the house and shoot up two teenagers. And I'm thinking that's just not normal. You don't usually no, get teenagers going to somebody else's house. I would, I would be willing to bet that 99% of the time they're gang related. There's been shootings at, and you look at it, it's at events where a large crowd is, and there's always an altercation between one group and another group before the shooting. That's gang related. Because who who does that? I mean, that yeah. it's not I a bunch of navy that. guys going to a game and a bunch of army guys show up, they fight, and then they go back and get guns and shoot each other. That doesn't happen. These are gang members, and so ninety, I was willing to bet ninety nine percent of the time, it is a there's gang ties to at least one side of the shooters or not. And then when you have shootouts where shooting shots fired from both sides, well, who does that? But gang members, you know. So yeah, it's a huge problem, and and that's another reason why. The older guys don't like these youngsters because they call them trigger happy. You know, these guys are willing to shoot anybody and any time with a gun. There's, and that's the reason there's this huge separation. And I've been seeing I had a lot of um, friends, a couple of relatives that were former gang members. Um, they're my age. They're 50, 60 years old. Um, and they're like fed up with the youngsters. They don't even want to go back in their own neighborhoods. They don't want to deal with guys who are the young members of their neighborhood because there's no respect. They're crazy. They, they call them crazy. They resort to a gun immediately. Hmm. Most of these youngsters are always carrying guns. You know, when you look at how many guns are taken off the streets in South LA on a yearly basis, when you take the gang units, regular patrol, uh, narcotics units, the vice units, uh, when Metro used to go in there and all the time, it's unbelievable how many guns are on the street. And see, and it's crazy because I, I'm for, I'm for some gun control, but the reality is the gangers are going to get them, and the, it is not. You 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 hear about the assault rifles, but what's more prevalent is a handgun because the gangers, everyone I've ever talked to, I want a handgun because I can stick it in my pocket and conceal it. You know, they want a small semi-auto they can stick in their pocket and conceal it because that's how they got to live because they're not worried about taking them down. They're worried about getting shot by rivals. They're worried about getting caught without that handgun by some rivals. That's their biggest fear. Hmm. And so the older members who did not like to carry guns all the time, they would only resort to getting their guns when we're getting attacked by rivals or we're about to go hit some rivals or about to go commit a crime with a gun. Other than that, these guys don't like, they don't like carrying guns. Older members, the guys that are usually 40 and up don't like they have a handgun on them. They now start to carry them because they're scared of the youngsters from the other neighborhoods. They're scared of the youngsters from their own neighborhood. That's the reason why they're starting to carry guns because they just don't want to get caught without it. And there's a litany of questions now. Because <laughs> I know <laughs> I, for, I forgot where I saw it, and I can't, it's really hard to detect it to find this one, but I think it was a statistic I read within DOJ that said that 70% of gun 
homicides are usually illegally purchased guns in some capacity, whether they bought them, they were given to them by a family member or a friend who bought it for them, kind of like the San Bernardino killers. He didn't buy those guns. They had to get it from somebody else. Does that seem accurate to you? Is that what you've seen in your experience? Totally accurate. I I used to do training for ATF, and we talked about how gang members acquire firearms. And right now I know for a fact there's several neighborhoods in Los Angeles that have uh, basically um, a connection with people buying guns in other states because it's much easier to buy guns in other states. You know, direct connection to a neighborhood in South Central LA coming straight from um, um, Tennessee. I mean, they've got a pipeline of guns coming in from there. I know for a fact there's a neighborhood who used to get guns from guys who actually go to gun shows. They followed the gun shows all around the country, outside of California, and would buy guns. And I remember in one neighborhood used to FedEx the guns back to the homeboys in California. That's illegal. Buy them, throw them in a box, and send them by FedEx back to the homies in California. That's illegal. They they get guns (laughs) all the time. And we're always finding guns. And then, of course, the biggest issue... That's starting to really scare everybody's ghost guns because there's a pipeline straight from, um, I think it's Brazil, straight into the United States. It's one of the the, uh, countries in uh, Central America where there's a pipeline of guns coming straight into the United States of ghost guns. And they're basically semi-autos, 45s, um, and they they found some in Northern California and they found some in Southern California. They're, They're just coming straight in. There, I don't, you probably didn't even hear, this didn't really make the news. We had an off-duty detective over a news division on his way into work. And he gets ambushed by a kid about two blocks from the station. Shoots, shoots into his car. The detective, I think, takes, gets slightly wounded in the arm. Anyway, they put up a perimeter. They catch this kid, right, about three or four blocks from the station. They find out he's got a ghost gun. And it was one of these manufactured, like, you know, made on a machine, recent ghost guns, right? And so they end up, you know, getting the kid to tell them where he got it at. And about six blocks from the station, they do a search warrant on a place that's uh, making ghost guns. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like a factory just making the ghost guns themselves. Right. They had them, they had the machinery to make ghost guns and they were making them. Wow. Because I know Baltimore was having a big problem with that for a while, too. They were, they were yeah. having a lot of issues with ghost guns. And a lot of that's coming. Some, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of these guns coming up. From Central America, and there's a bunch of them being made here in the states. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I remember reading about the issue with the robberies that you were saying, I think it's 942 bucks and under. It's a misdemeanor. Right. But the other issue was having hearing is that okay, they get arrested, they get charged, but if you don't get convicted, there's no misdemeanor. <laughs> right. If you get three misdemeanors, you get the felony on the third misdemeanor. Right which a lot of people don't realize in California, but they just never get convicted. So yeah. <laughs> there's no misdemeanor ever. You're you never going to get to that. You got guys on multiple arrests with no convictions and they get arrested over and over again, but it, you know, witnesses don't show up. Um, yeah. you know, something happens that they just, they don't even go into court. Then, you know, that's a big problem with this DA right now. The DA is the direct connection with the investigating officers, especially working gangs. Um, the investigators that go into the courts to file these cases with the DA, they're having a problem getting filings um, because they want wins. They, they don't want this. What if, what if I might not be able to get, is it, how's your witness? Is your witness, you know, not going to come forward, whatever, it's a problem. So 
even before that, before this DA came on, I, I give an example. When I was working auto thefts, I had a kid that this is the second time he did this. Second time he did the exact same thing. He drove it on. He steals a car in the city of Inglewood. He comes to the city of Los Angeles. He's a gang member. He, LAPD gets behind him. They go in pursuit of him. He crashes the car. He hides. He takes dog feces and covers his body, thinking the canine will not be able to find him. Anyway, long story. They catch him. They arrest him. You found that on he YouTube, I think. Go ahead. They did it. This is the second time he's done this. So um, when I went in to file the case, this is what I didn't like about working 77. We had to use the revolving DA, you know, brand new DAs get, they had a reviewing files before they get time in court. So I get a DA, that young guy, and he's looking at this case and he goes, you know, um, I I don't know about how we're going to prove this case, but I'm thinking to myself, let's see, he's in a stolen vehicle and we pursue him and he bails out the car. And by the way, this is the second time he's done this because he did the exact same thing about five months prior. And he goes, there's nothing to show him that he's guilty. I said, excuse me, but how many people do you know cover themselves in dog feces to hide from the police? And he do recall that this happened again. This is like second time this has happened. And by the way, this is actually his fourth time being arrested having to do with a stolen vehicle. And he looked at me and goes, I don't know, we can file this case. I just like, I can't believe that I'm dealing with this. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I said, and you know, I'm just kind of person, I'm gonna say exactly what I feel. I said, well, you're an idiot. And he got mad, calls the supervisor. I'm like, I tell the supervisor, like, this guy's asking me, you know, what, how he could prove this case. And then right in front of him, this is, a, and it's the second time this kid is, in fact, he's on probation for doing this before. Stealing a car in Inglewood, driving <laughs> to the city of Los Angeles, being pursued, crashing the stolen car, bailing out and running from the cops. He just did this six months ago. And uh, yeah, well, okay. Anyway, long story short, I went back to my, my supervisor. I put the case package on his desk, nice and polite. And I said, you file this bad boy because I'm done. I don't know what's wrong with these people. I can't deal with them anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different problem. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, that's the problem with, with Gascon, he amplified that that thought process of, you know, unless it's a violent crime, they're not trying to put juveniles in jail. You know, no, no juveniles are getting time. Well, who's doing the most violent crimes out there? The street robberies are up. Most of the street robberies, especially in Los Angeles, are being committed by juveniles. They're jacking people for jewelry and watches in their wallets and stuff like that. You know, you got crews of girls who are going on buses and jacking people for jewelry, especially other girls, jacking them for their cell phones. Yeah, it's like I think it's seventy over seventy-five percent of the crimes are committed between people, males usually between sixteen to thirty, to thirty-two at the most. I mean, seventy-five percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then the other problem was before I left, um, it, it really was just befuddled me. You know, when the feds came in, especially you know over the years with the consent decree and other things that happened in Los Angeles. The feds want to track crime and they're getting pressure to track crime. So the feds have their own system and own coding of what certain crimes are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's where the problem is. In state of California, if you run up to somebody and grab their jewelry off their neck and yank it off, it's a street robbery. But in okay. the federal crime codes, it's not. So we didn't track it as 
a street robbery, even though by California Penal Code, that is a 211 PC street robbery. Okay, strong arm robbery. But the federal codes don't call, don't identify that, don't define that as a street robbery. So it's tracked as a straight theft. This is straight theft, that's it? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a that's huge a problem because the mm -hmm. numbers are skewed. The numbers are very skewed. Yeah, I think that's what was that uh, they used to have. It. I don't think they. I don't think they're using that one anymore. The um, no, I forgot the name of what it's called. Because now I think they're using nibbers a lot, right? Nibbers, yeah. I think, is the one they're using now. They used to use another one. I can't remember the name of it now. Yeah, I can't remember the one they used when I left. It was, it was so frustrating. It was like, are you? It, it, that makes sense. It was never. It was really broad. And every and every major agency that gets federal funding has to use their coding. So we're not even counting the crimes oh, the way that actually are happening in the state of California. Let me ask you this in our last few minutes. We talked about the differences in gangs and their mentality, their ideology a little bit. I'm starting to get the idea. Sometimes I get these. I'm starting to get the idea that the gangs are starting to get blurrier. I keep talking to, to people who say they're all fractionated instead of just bloods and crips it's bloods on 18th street bloods on 17th street bloods over here bloods over there. they're all so breaking into smaller and smaller groups they're getting the you know people are taking that i'll i'll run this outfit whatever it is they're breaking up into smaller units at least that's what i've been hearing from the south and the east side um that to me starts saying okay they're going to start blurring these lines lapd came out saying there's like 17 gangs that are responsible for for these smash and grabs and these follow home robberies. And I'm thinking, are they going to just morph <laughs> to one gang? I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Now, what has happened over the years is you always had fractions inside the gang neighborhoods themselves, which was the reason we used to, we brought the term in crews or cliques. Primarily we call them cliques, but every gang set, which is like, you know, the same um, Roman 60s Crips, Within the Rolling Sixties, you have different sets, and they're all based on ge geographic parts in the neighborhood, uh, or they could be an age group that likes to run together. When I worked bounty hunters, they had a crew. Uh, they're all in the Nixon Garden projects. In Nixon Garden projects, there was a different clique on every block. They were all bounty hunter blood gang members, but there oh, was wow. a different clique. Like 111th Street was his own clique. That was the Ace Line. 112th Street, that's the Deuce Line. 133, that's the Trey Line. You had the Kill Squad. You had the Brazy Brew, which is, you know, their bloods. They take the seas off to the crazy crew. They're Brazy Brew. This one group was called Kill Squad, and they were just a group of guys that basically ran together. They were the same age group, but they weren't in any local location. They were just guys that were at the same age group, and they formed up their own little clique. So you always had that division within the game mm. itself. And now what you're seeing more and more of with the younger generation is that they're more willing to – and especially because the term I hear all the time, well, the thing I hear all the time is everybody's afraid somebody snitched on them because the only reason we in law enforcement are, are successful is somebody snitched. Somebody turned, somebody flipped in the crew. And like when a crew goes out and does a robbery and the whole crew gets taken down, somebody flipped. You know, that's, you know, we, and yeah, we do. If we flip majority, we always find one knucklehead who's scared to death to go to prison and we turn them. And so that's the biggest fear for all gang members. And what you're seeing today is that when these guys do get taken down, of course, in court, they learn that somebody turned on them, right? And they start to distrust not only, you know, the guys, the crew, but they, they don't even trust the homeboys in their own neighborhood, their own clique, their own crew. So they, st and they still want to go out and this is the money making thing to go out and do 
you know, knock knock burglaries or smashing crabs. So they want to put together crews. They're going to get together with guys that they trust. And it might be individuals from rival neighborhoods. And one of the things that I saw for years was because of the way the prisons and the jails in California are divided by race. When, once you get in there, you have to, you have to stick with your race. Um, you got two male blacks in a yard and 20 Southern Hispanics. Well, Southern Hispanics are, are at war with blacks from Cripsets. They don't care of their bloods, mainly for blacks from Cripsets, mainly. So they see two blacks, they'll attack them. Well, if I'm on the yard and let's say I'm a Crip and there's 20 bloods, but there's 100 Southern Hispanics. Well, guess what? I might be the one and lonely Crip, but all the bloods are my best friends because as blacks, we got to stand together to survive in that yard. Now, if I'm doing this for several months, maybe in a couple of years inside of prison, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a relationship with somebody that's supposed to be a rival. On the streets, he's a rival. Inside, I got to, you know, he's my home point. We got to survive together. When I go out to the streets, when I finally get on parole and I, I need to make some money and I'm putting together a crew, I don't trust my own homeboys because somebody in that crew snitched on me. I don't know who was, but somebody snitched on me. Who am I going to go to? My homeboy just got out. Now, he's a rival, but he's from a rival neighborhood. But me and him created a bond and a friendship and, and a brotherhood inside the joint because we protected each other. Let me see if homeboy wants to get down. Hey, I'm putting there some clicks. We're about to go out and do some licks. You want to join? You want to make some money? Yeah. I trust him. Why I trust him? Because he had my back in prison. So you're seeing this where we see these crossovers. We see mixed crews of Crips and Bloods together. We see rival Crip sets running together. We see Hispanic gangs and, and Black gangs running together. We see Asian guys running with them. It's all about money. So it's not that they're going to blend together and create their own neighborhoods, not in California at least. Now, in Vegas, we're seeing that where you have uh, there's a apartment complex not too far from the Air Force Base where there are guys that are claiming L.A. gang membership to other gangs in L.A. And they're from several, six, seven, eight, ten different gangs. And they're all running together and committing crime together. So there's this hybrid crew. They're not they haven't formed up an actual gang and named it, but they're a hybrid crew of gang members from rival gangs from different neighborhoods in California. But they're all in Vegas and they're all running around together doing crime. Gosh, <laughs> man. And I guess, you know, we can be here all day talking about all the <laughs> distinctions and the nuances about these, the gangs, but it's just so, it's crazy. I don't know how much longer, I know Chesa Bowden up in, in San Francisco area. I think he's going to lose that. Re- I think he's going to lose that recall. Um, it, it's always interesting because you're starting to get the, if you've been around long enough, and I know both of us have, and I've studied it as well, and you've experienced it. Um, we see these waves, these waves of certain types of, um, how would you say, criminal policies <laughs> that get implemented. <laughs> and when they don't work, um, and I wish they did. I really, I mean, I really wish they did. I mean, they have good intentions, in my opinion. But, you know, um, when they don't work, people suffer the consequences. And I think that's what we're seeing up in Oakland. Where now the people are just like, okay, we got to recall the guy because he's, he's not doing. I don't know what side he's on, yeah. And that's not a good thing for the DA. And then down here, I think LA has really gone crazy. It's not 1990 yet, but it's not 2014 yeah. yet either. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's getting it's there. Way. When, <laughs> well, when you like, like I said a couple of weekends ago, when they said they had 53 something shootings and 30 some of them are in basically 
you know, less than 20 square miles of the city, you know, two divisions have more than uh, three, three quarters of the shooting, people getting shot in the city happened in two divisions. That's a, that's a problem. And, and, you know, it's all gang related. Actually, I want to look up right now how many homicides we have already in L.A., if I can find it. I know last year. They already, they already said they're going to surpass last year's. Did oh, did they? Yeah. Okay, last and, year and was the thing about it is that we're Actually, the homicide rate has been really good, but it's the people getting shot. Because, you know, I'm amazed that, you know, we have great hospitals, emergency rooms in, in Southern California, because they save a lot of people that when I see them getting a load of the ambulance on the crime scene, I'm thinking they're not going to make it, but somehow they make it, you know. Well, that's also a good point because it's misleading a little bit to go with the homicides. But if we went with the homicides, it, last year was 400. That's the highest in 15 years. And you're saying already we're at pace for a higher number than that. Yeah. In the 90s, you were saying when it was probably at the height was about a thousand. So now we're creeping yeah. up into that 50% mark. Right. Um, so that's starting to get up because we, we were about 200 for a while. Yeah, and, and, uh, and that's back in the nineties, there were what eighty, close to eighty percent of those homicides were gang or late related homicides. So I think that's the that's probably going to run through even today. You know, and back to your original percentage. point. And back to your original point, Wayne. Now that I think about it, if you had a thousand homicides in ninety, and you have four hundred now, but as you mentioned, the hospitals are probably a lot better, or these guys' aims are a lot worse, for a combination. But if you have that difference. There could literally be the same amount of shootings. <laughs> if you get my drift, there could be right. 2,000 shootings, 1,000 died, and we only 400 now, but there could legitimately be. I wonder if anybody's keeping track of the number of shootings. Well, they do keep a, they do keep uh, ADWs, assault with a deadly weapon with a firearm, and those are considered people that survive. You know, there's no homicide. So if you look at the numbers of how many people have been shot in, in Los Angeles County in the last few years, uh, I think the number has actually gone up, but but you know, I don't know if you probably recall this, but back in the '90s, especially when we were, well, actually in, the, in when I came on the job in the '80s was when the gang crime in South Central really started skyrocketing. But in the '90s, um, they were sending the, the military was sending their military trauma doctors, the ones that work, you know, uh, on gun traffic. They would send them to emergency rooms around the country, and so you had several that are always there at LA County. And they were working on gunshot victims all the time. So they were training their folks on gunshot victims for the military at hospitals uh, around the country. But at several different emergency rooms in, in Los Angeles County were always, you'd always see these military doctors down there training. Wow, military guys. Uh, the thing I find right now is the city last year recorded, according to the police chief in L.A., 3,300 shots fired reports. It was a 60% increase from 2019. So in two years, it shot up 60%. Yeah. I don't know how many shots fired in, two, in 1990. And, and see, that's shots fired. But think about this. How many mm. times do these guys get shot and they don't, go to, they don't go to a hospital? They self-treat. That's true, too. Yeah. So a lot of times we get shooting victims and we, we'll get to a shots fired scene and get there. There's cases on the ground. There's blood droppings. No victim. Yeah, that's that's another point. It's a lot of time, well, yeah, sometimes I saw one guy the other day. He, he was shot in a gang thing. He actually ended up going to the hospital himself. Yeah, which, which surprised the. Officer. We call that homeboy ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm trying to find if I can even find it. The numbers I'll have to look at up another time to find out how many they have shootings. I wonder if they keep track of that because that'd be an interesting comparison between 1990 and now. And you know, so, whatever trends in LA is going to eventually move to other cities. Always does. Yeah, we so, see that in New York already. Yeah. New yeah. York's off the hook. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, the mayor's trying and it's like getting worse. It's like they're almost trying to threaten him. See, they took their unit that went out there and pulled guns off the streets on a daily basis. When that unit left, that's the same thing in the problem in L.A. You know, when Metro got pulled out from doing their um, their sweeps, now you have gang members. um, We don't have. But the only guys who they they actually worry about, because they don't worry about patrol. They've told us this. We're not worried about the patrol guys. We're worried about the gang officers. They used to worry about Metro. Now they just worry about the gang officers because the gang officers know us. Um, The gang officers, you know, they work us all the time. You know, that's the only guys they really worry about. Yeah, it's interesting because I talked to an undercover guy up in uh, up in San Francisco, a uh, super nice cop, and he was undercover for a while. But he said that's how usually the way they operate, and which I'm sure you probably saw the same thing, is they, they caught one guy. Okay, this guy wasn't that big of a deal. It was an assault charge. But this other guy, you know who shot and killed this guy. That's the guy I want. All right, you, got, you know this guy who's trafficking large amounts of dope. That's the guy I want. I don't want the little guys. And they started, you know, <laughs> having them snitch on each other in one way or another. Right. And is that something that still goes on today or, or because that unit's gone, it's a lot harder to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's much harder to do it. I mean, you would always try to catch the sources. I mean, we had guys that, that you know, um, they get flipped in every neighborhood all the time. And they still do. Um, and you, you, you work these guys as much as you can. The feds always come in with money, pay, pay informants like that. I, I never... I was fortunate enough, I, my entire career, I never paid an informant. I have people mm-hmm. that were on the streets that want to help me. You know, they want to change what was happening out there. I had gang members that just were fed up with what was going on in their own neighborhoods. So they would drop diamonds to me, you know. Uh, they trusted me, and they knew that I'm not going to be out there just, you know, ram, ram banging through the whole neighborhood. I'm going after individuals. You take individuals off, violence goes down. Because, like, you know, my homeboys, all, all of them tell me, certain individuals are just out of control. If you yank those guys out, then we don't have the problem anymore. They solved the murder of two UCLA co-eds. Um, they uh, they were kidnapped. It, it is we're supposed to just steal a car to make, commit a drive-by shooting. So they ended up kidnapping these co-eds and killing them. Well, uh, my my boss told me he solved that murder with one of the homeboys from that same neighborhood because it brought so much heat from the police department on that neighborhood, and he was it was interfering with his drug sales. So he. Told us where to look. <laughs> I guess my last question to you, Wayne, do you think it'll change? We've talked about different generations and every 25, 30 years, new generation comes in. They don't want to be like the old. Do you think the new generation will come in and say, these guys were nuts. We're going to be much more sophisticated. We're going to try to keep a low profile. Do you think that'll happen? I think that's the trend. And I think that's it, 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 each generation gets smarter. The kids are smarter. Um, they're actually, some of them are staying in school. You know, you, you go to the colleges, you can find several gang members on every campus because they're, you're staying in school. You, they're, they're looking at what I can do to make it easy to buck the system, you know. And, you this know, is they, just a bump in the road, you're saying? Yeah, I think it's just it's just going to get, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better because one of the things I've talked about with my friends and guys I've worked with over the years is that you look at the, the individuals from where I grew up in the area on the west side of Los Angeles. Most of those kids that were there game bangers, they, they don't have to do it. Their parents are both working. 
you know, they're coming from, uh, they're lacking kids because their parents are working. So they're on their own a lot. That's why they're in the streets. But it's not that they have to do this. It's not that they don't have opportunities to do something different, you know, and, and it's still, as far as I know, it's still a fact that only one out of 10 kids in a neighborhood like South Central or East LA is involved in gang activity. Most of the kids shy away from it. Most of the kids just want to get through their daily life and, and do something different. But the kids that are joining, they're doing it because they think it's fun. You know, I've interviewed kids. I mean, I actually talked to a couple of kids from my, that grew up in my own neighborhood, which is a, a major crip set. And both these kids were on scholarships. One was on scholarship to play basketball at a major university in the Midwest. And one was on scholarship to play football at a major university in the South. And they're hanging out with the homies. And I'm like, dude, do you understand that the heat that's coming down, that your neighborhood is in this violent shooting war with five other neighborhoods and you're jeopardizing your life and your career, your potential to do some better life by hanging out in the hood? Why? I don't give a damn that you grew up there. I don't care that you think this makes you legit. The fact is that you got a full basketball scholarship. You're on a full football scholarship. And universities that they found out you were hanging out with your homeboys, you will probably lose your scholarship. But why take the chance of these homeboys? You don't know what they did the night before. You don't know if they just did the drive-by shooting or five minutes ago when this homeboy gets out the car, comes hang out with the little crew that you're hanging out with on the corner, that he just pops some caps in one of your rival neighborhoods. And now they're coming back. So why jeopardize it? And it's because these kids think that this is cool. Some of these kids think that gangbang is like a fraternity. I'm like, wait a minute. Fraternities don't do drive-by shootings. Uh, fraternities don't do smash and grab robberies. No, it's totally different. You do fraternity brothers that are fighting each other and other fraternities. Yeah, they'll have that kind of robbery. Do they throw up hand signs? Yeah, they're fraternity hand signs. But do they retaliate because somebody, you know, beat up one of their homeboys? Do they go out and do drive-by shooting? Do they go out and, and, and do home invasion robberies? No, so you can't compare it to fraternity, but that's where these kids, these youngsters today have this thought process. It's like a fraternity for them. They don't understand it's a huge difference between fraternity and a violent street game. That's good points. Excellent points. That's scary. (laughs) That's scary, but I'm hoping things will get better and and maybe their culture will change and maybe the DA will change and who knows what's going to happen on that. Uh, I think the DA is, uh, they pulled enough signatures to get him on the ballot for a recall, so we'll see. They got it this time, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're he's running out his his welcome. And he's already had the former chief of police already go against him. I think Beck. Yeah. Uh, did Beck retract that? I don't think he retracted it. No, I don't think he retracted it. Yeah. Yeah, I think he went against him. The minute you get the politicians against you, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's what's happening with Bowden up in San Francisco once the mayor decided to say, uh uh-uh, because their job's on the line too. And you know what the whole thing is, Carlos, for all these years I've talked about this, and especially um, having grown up in the community, what about the victims? Yeah. We're, we're always fighting for these, these, you know, poor youth. You know, they don't have a choice or, you know, there, there's so many things stacked against them. Okay, but what about that 12-year-old who was killed by another 12-year-old that lives three blocks from me? For what? Because he's, he's from a rival area. He wasn't even a gang member. Yeah, this kid who wants to be a gang member, who's 12 years old, pulls a gun out and shoots and kills him because he wants to be like his big brother, who is in the gang. What about that? We don't think about we don't think about the victims. We forget so much about the victims. You know, if we if I could line up all these victims, 
and put them uh, on TV and everybody talk about, you know, how they lost their son or their daughter to some random violent act that was just stupidity. Hey, I bet you I pulled enough heartstrings. That's the problem too, Wayne. Before you'd watch it on the news and somebody got hurt, but I'm hearing over and over again. Now it's somebody at least knows somebody who's been robbed. That's when it starts getting too close, too close to home now. You get the old NIMBY effect, right? Not in my backyard. And uh, I think that's what one of the things that's turned the table on everybody is just like, wait a minute. I know somebody now who got it, or I'm the one who got robbed. It's well, very you, different. And, you know, you look at the history of law enforcement in, in, just in California alone, dealing with the gangs. Crips and Bloods have been around for a while. The gangs in East LA have been around for years. You know, those gangs, mm-hmm. those gangs started in the 30s and 40s. You know, there's generational, you know, as far as, uh, and I remember looking at a, a, a videotape of a white fence reunion. You had guys walking in with hats from World War II because they were they were on ships in World War II, but they were white fence gang members. Okay, never came. And so they're going to white fence reunion. That's how far it goes back. But when did we, <laughs> when did we really start paying attention to gangs and really hit the news in California alone and get outside of California? It's when a young Asian girl was killed in a crossfire in, in Westwood. You remember that, that when that happened? Mm-hmm. She was killed in a crossfire between two gangs, rivals in Westwood. And then all of a sudden, oh, we got a gang problem. Wait a minute. It's no longer still in South LA. It's no longer in East LA. The gang problem is in Westwood, two blocks from the UCLA campus. And an innocent victim was killed. Oh, we got to do something about this. That's the problem. We waited too long to do something about it, but we never wanted to deal with why do we have these gangs? Why? Do, what are we going to do now to the point where I, my only solution is the gangs are not going anywhere. How about we make it so that the kids that are in these neighborhoods don't want to join the gang because they have something much better to do? That's how we're going to stop it. That's how we're going to slow it down. It's never going to go away. There's always going to be kids that are joining the gang. But how about getting majority's kids to say enough is enough? I don't want to join the gang. I got something better to do. How do we help those kids? Because that's where that's where our future is, and those kids. What do you think about Homeboy Industries? Ooh, Father Boyle. Yeah, he. <laughs> Maybe we should take this off. <laughs> yeah, but I have some personal opinions about him. Um, in the group, there's been some really good stuff that come out of there. Um, but there's also been some guys. I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys from different neighborhoods who didn't like Father Boyle and they didn't like the things he was doing because, unfortunately, people pick sides. And that's what I was told. Some people got help. Some people didn't. I guess everything's got a problem. Yeah. Wayne, I could be here all night with you. <laughs> it's usually our <laughs> problem when we talk. <laughs> Folks, again, Wayne Caffey, uh, LAPD, former LAPD, almost 39 years. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, Wayne. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you got some more insight. I know you did. I did. Make sure to share, subscribe, and hit that like button, folks. Stay safe out there. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.